0: listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, Bethelbible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. If you have your Bibles with you or on your device, if you will please find your way to Luke chapter 16, the passage that Clint just read for us this week morning. Um, Church family, I don't say this enough, um, but Marla and I love and appreciate you all more than you ever know. Um, So this morning, Luke chapter 16, we're in this series called Jesus Stories, and it's a series through the parables, and a parable is simply a simple word picture that illustrates profound spiritual lessons. Simple word pictures of normal, ordinary things that people would understand and know. But then they have these deep, profound, illustrated spiritual lessons really built into them. So this morning, we're going to talk about two things that no one loves to talk about. The first one is wealth. Now listen, I know we don't like to talk about money. I don't. We might feel guilty we have so much compared to those around the world, and I would say a great opportunity for us. We still have one, two, three, four, five, five Sierra Leone students, and they all need to be gone today. Not gone. I mean, their pictures need to be taken, and what you do, you pray for them. You also are committing to support them throughout this year financially to go to school. It's $240, and if that sounds like a lot, which a lot of times it may be, you can even pay that out over several months. Uh, $20 a month you could do. And we would tend to think, man, we could all do that. But five students, and this pays for everything they need for the school year. It pays for their uniforms, their books, their backpack, all that they need to go to school, and their test. So pick one of those pictures up before you leave this morning. But we can also feel saddened thinking about money. that We have so many possessions, and yet we look to others around us that seem to have so much less and oftentimes, man, they seem happier than we are. We can feel ashamed that we have so much, and then we look around, and we start pouting because we just want more. But the other thing that we'll talk about today that people don't like to talk about is hell. Listen, I don't like to talk about it. I, I, I know that about us. And oftentimes when there's something we don't like, we try to either discredit or set it up that really it isn't true. So, in fact, Barna Group did a research project not too long ago that of professing Christians, 60% said that they did not believe in hell or Satan. In fact, I don't have a survey to back this up, but just with personal conversations that I have, there's an increase in the belief of annihilation. It's simply this. you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, you get to go and live in heaven. If you're not... Well, God couldn't possibly want anyone to be in hell, so they just cease to exist. It's a view of annihilation. But do you know, and of course you do, do you know who speaks more about hell than anyone in the Bible? Jesus himself. But hell is probably the most unpopular of the classic orthodox doctrines. Because it's hard for people to see God painted in the light of all love, And at the same time, reconcile that with a place of eternal punishment and suffering. In fact, hell seems unfair. It seems unjust. But I hope this morning that through this parable, we'll begin to see things a little bit differently. I hope we'll see that actually there is nothing unfair or unjust about hell. In fact, the more I believe that we understand hell, the more we actually come to appreciate God's love. So to do this, we're going to look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And this is a parable of incredible contrast. You heard it read this morning, two men, one rich, one poor, one lived a respectable life, called Abraham his father, but he spends an eternity in hell. The other lived a pitiful life. We notice that he never says a word but then he spends eternity next to Father Abraham. So let's walk through this parable this morning. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. So there's a rich man who is clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously. Did I get that right, Marla? Sumptuously. Sumptuously every day. So here's this man, incredible wealthy. He's described him wearing purple, so that is a very expensive, it's the color of royalty because it was so rare. But he's also dressed in fine linen. This would be the undergarment that a person would wear. It would be soft. It would be soothing. It would be comfortable. But he feasted sumptuously, meaning extravagant feasting every single day. So he lived in luxury. He enjoyed whatever he wanted. He had physical health. He had independence. He was confident that he was good with the Lord. So now notice the complete contrast. Look at verse 20. And at his gate, at that man's gate, laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with swords who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So when it says poor man, it's talking about absolutely no resources at his disposal. Laid at the gate. Physically, he could not walk. So if it starts raining, he's at the mercy of someone to move him. If he is in the way, he's at the mercy of someone to come and to help him. He's laid at the gate. Meaning someone placed him there. And he's outside the gated community of the, where the rich man lives. He's covered in sores. We're not exactly sure exactly what caused these sores, but he's in physical misery. But it says that he was hungry, that he was hoping to eat from the crumbs or the scraps that fell from the table. But it's actually much grosser than that. It would, it's would. it got this picture of someone coming in and, and taking a towel and wiping the table or a mop and cleaning up the floor, then shaking that out, and whatever fell... The man was hoping just to be able to eat that. And then it says dogs came and licked his sores. And back in this time, dogs were not friendly household pets that you know cost you $250 because they have allergies. But it's true, it happens. But you really go anywhere else in the world and you see dogs roaming the streets. No one's petting them, no one's feeding them. They just have to survive. They're not household pets. So they roaming the streets, and this man is covered in sores. He has no ointment or, or balm to soothe himself. Instead, dogs come and lick the sores and make them worse. So do you feel the, the contrast? Do you see the differences between these two men? But I want you to remember a couple of things here. First of all, this is the only parable we have that actually names A person. All of the parables, they have identities like sower, worker, traveler, widow. But here we actually have the name Lazarus given to a person in this parable. Lazarus means God is my help. So hold on to that. Write that down somewhere. Lazarus means God is my help. But then we have this other man. He's only referred to as a rich man. No name, just an identifier. So you need to write that down. Remember that also. It's going to be important later. So let's keep reading verse 22. So the poor man died, and he was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus... At his side. So, once again, just total contrast, but we're going to see this kind of reversal happening. So, Lazarus, absolutely no luxury here on earth, only misery. But now he is carried by angels to Abraham's side. So, Abraham's side was used by Jews to talk about a place of incredible honor. In fact, Luke 23, 2 Corinthians 12, Abraham's side was the place of describing where uh, believers in the Old Testament would go. They would be at Abraham's side. But the rich man, he's not carried. All of a sudden, it just says he's died, he's buried, he's in Hades. Now, Hades in Revelation 20 is the place where the unsaved dead are prior to the great white throne throne judgment. But notice this rich man, it says he is being in torment. But what we're going to see in just a moment is that this torment really isn't exactly what we might be thinking. Because notice this, dying is the only thing that these two men have in common. Absolutely the only thing, if you were to put them side by side, the only thing they have in common is that they both die. But i I think it's important to notice and kind of put some disclaimers here because if we're not careful, we can make parables say a lot of things that they're not trying to say. So one, Lazarus is not at Abraham's side because he is poor or he is in misery. Because there is this belief that you need to live in misery now so that you can one day have great blessing later. That's not the principle of this parable. But the rich man is also not in Hades because he is rich. Jesus is not saying that wealth is bad or that rich people end up in Hades. In fact, there are many people in Scripture that experienced financial blessing and they were still close to the Lord. In fact, the, the one that wrote the book that we are looking at today, Luke, he was a physician, probably the most well of all the apostles financially. But think about Abraham, Job. Incredibly wealthy men, but they were still close to the Lord. So, then why did Lazarus end up at Abraham's side? And the rich man, why is he in Hades? It's because you end up where your master leads you. That's the truth. You are going to end up, I will end up where my master leads me. So now notice how verse 23 ends... The rich man, he lifts up his eyes and he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus. Look at verse 24. So he calls out or he cries out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. Notice he recognizes Abraham And he calls him Father. So this rich man, he's Jewish, probably belonged to his local synagogue. Probably attended worship services like you're doing. He supported his synagogue most likely. But he is counting on his Jewish heritage to make him right with the Lord. He thought, okay, since I'm Jew, I'm good. I'm part of the chosen. But notice who he also recognizes. Do you see that Lazarus, he knows who this man is. That means that he knew the man that sat at his gate each and every day in misery. And he did nothing to help him. So we might be thinking, okay, that's why he ended up there in Hades. But not so fast. Let's see what happens next. So the rich man... He cries out to Abraham to send Lazarus to dip water, dip his finger in some water, and to drop it on his tongue. Now you would think, oh, the rich man. I'm thinking if he is in Hades at this point, he should be crying out for forgiveness or asking to be delivered. From Hades, At least that's what I would be thinking. Lord, get me out of here. Forgive me for whatever happened or whatever I've done, but please get me out of here. But instead, he's just wanting a little bit of relief. But notice this. He wants Lazarus to be his servant. You see, death is the great equalizer. Lazarus was once this man in great need. But the rich man would not lift a finger to help him. Just outside his gate. More than he needed. But now the rich man is wanting some help. And he's expecting. In fact, he's actually ordering Lazarus to bring it to him. Tell him. But Lazarus, notice he doesn't say a word. He doesn't gloat. He's silent. (laughs) But Abraham's not. Look at verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now, he is comforted here, meaning with me. And you, you are in anguish. Besides all of this, between you, between us is this great chasm that has been fixed, or meaning has been created in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, that none may cross from there to us. So not only is death this incredible equalizer, it creates this great reversal. So each received the exact opposite of what they had on earth. The rich man lived in comfort, luxury, health, But now, he's in anguish. Lazarus, he's sick, extreme poverty, physical misery. But now, he is living in complete comfort. So, notice that death, death is an end to Lazarus' suffering. But death is the beginning of the rich man's suffering. And so now there's this great divide between them. Neither one of them can cross. But notice the rich man, he's still not asking for forgiveness or even to be rescued. Because you end up where your master leads you. So since Abraham will not let Lazarus become the servant of the rich man, he has another request. Look at verse 27 and 8. So he said, So then he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, yeah, you know that one, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So he has five brothers, and he wants to warn them. And I think at first reading, we would read this and think, Finally. This rich man has finally found a little bit of compassion. But the rich man would have known the law. He would have attended the synagogues. He would have known the greatest of all commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. And to love your neighbor as yourself. But his only concern is for his five brothers. But also notice he is still expecting Lazarus to be his errand boy. He says, send him to my father's house. He wants Lazarus to warn them. Now, why would, he want, why would he want Lazarus to go to them from the dead? Why would he want Lazarus to go from where he is to be raised back to life to his five brothers? And we see the answer, and we also see the rich man's motive in this request In the next three verses. He says. But Abraham said. They have Moses. And the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said to him. No father. But Abraham. But if anyone goes to them from the dead. Then they will repent. So Abraham says. They don't need Lazarus. They have Moses and the prophets. Meaning they have the law. They have the Old Testament Scriptures. They have God's Word, and it is enough. And we see the attitude, actually, behind the request. He's saying if someone could just come back from the dead, they they would then repent. What the rich man's doing here, he's blame-shifting. He's saying, listen, Abraham, the reason I am here is not because of me. It's because I didn't get a fair shake. He's complaining that he wasn't given enough information. But notice, the reason the rich man is in Hades, the reason he is not asking for forgiveness, and the reason he is not asking to be rescued, the reason he is not taking responsibility, and he's blaming actually his reality on not, not having enough information, is because you end up where your master leads you. Because the rich man, he is getting exactly what he has been striving for his entire life. Because notice Abraham's final word. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Says, Listen, it's not going to work. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they don't believe God's word, then they will not be convinced of their need for God by someone coming back from the dead. And we know this to be true, and so should the rich man. In fact, in 2 Samuel, Saul went to the witch of Endor, And she raised Samuel back to life. Did it change Saul? No. In fact, he was dead the next day, and he never repented. He was afraid, but he never repented. But all you have to do is back up about a month before this, when Jesus raised Lazarus back to life. Lazarus, the brother of Mary from Bethany, he comes back to life. They didn't celebrate. You know what they did? They wanted to stone Jesus and Lazarus. So, the reason the rich man or anyone does not believe, the reason they don't repent, is not because they lack information, it's not because they haven't been given a convincing enough miracle, it's because their hearts are set. On the wrong things. They're worshiping the wrong things. They desire the wrong things. That's why they reject God. That's why they don't repent. That's why they don't believe. It's not that they lack information. It's not that they don't have haven't seen a miracle. It's because you end up where your master leads you. But I want to spend just a couple of moments. Because I believe it's so important here about this reality of hell. You don't hear much about it these days. We we tend to shy away from it. But I'm convinced that the more we actually understand hell and how a believer should look at it, the more we actually come to understand how God loves us. So here's some realities that we see actually about hell from the rich man in Lazarus. And you got to be careful not to look at every single detail and try to make it into something. But I believe these are very obvious. One would be this, that today's decisions, the things that we do now, they have eternal consequences. Meaning if you reject Christ in this life, you will remain forever without him. There's no crossing back. There's no second chances. There's this gulf that is fixed and is permanent. So if during our time on earth, we allow things like money, or it could be achievements or success, image, beauty, children, to be your master instead of God, then earth will be the extent of your heaven. Eternity will be your hell. But if during your time here on earth, God is your master and the thing that you desire and you follow after the most, then earth will be the extent of your hell and eternity will be your heaven. But also we see here is that hell is an ever-increasing misery and heaven is an ever-increasing blessing. So the rich man, he looks to heaven, maybe for the very first time, but it's far off. And I think that is when reality begins to set in. He cries out to Abraham, but then he realizes, wait, it's, it's too late. He realizes that he had all the answers all along, but he ignored them. Because hell is not a place where people get better. Hell does not fix people. Hell gives them over to exactly what they desire the most, life beyond God. That's what they're after. That's what they're seeking, and hell is finding that reality coming true. So now the third reality that I, I see in this, because I, I know for myself, I think oftentimes, and maybe younger, maybe sometimes now, that we typically view hell in this way. I don't know, it's like this deep pit or this this deep cavern, and there's all these bad people in it. They're in torture, they're being in torment, and then they're just reaching and they're clawing and they're stepping on each other, just trying to escape. And there's God just stomping on their toes and pushing them back in, trying to, to hold them where they belong. But the third reality is hell is not a place where people will be looking to escape. The rich man, he went to hell because he made something other than God his master. And his example was money. This is why the rich man, this is why he doesn't have a name. And because he doesn't have a name, the wealth, that was his identity. Him. He was a man of money. He was a man of wealth. His wealth was his master. His wealth was his identity. His wealth was his name. His wealth was all that he had. He was simply the rich man. But the poor man, he was given a name. And that name means God is my help. So his only identity was The Lord. That was all that he had. The Lord was his master. The Lord was his name. The Lord was all that he had. Lazarus, God is my help. So the rich man, notice he never repents. He never asks for forgiveness. He never even asks to be rescued. Because those who are or will be in hell will experience exactly what they are desiring the most. They will be content to be there because this is what they have been chasing. They want to be in charge. They want to be their own God. They want God to leave them alone. And hell is God giving them exactly what they desire the most. So if people continue, if we continue to ignore and to try to get away from him, hell is when you accomplish what you have been trying to do. So if you make your master anything other than God, you will end up completely separated from him. So there is nothing unfair or unjust about hell. This is why no one will ever ask to be escaped or to be delivered from it. Hell is receiving what you want the most. So the truth about heaven and hell is that you end up where your master leads you. Whatever, whoever your master is, that determines your destiny. So at the beginning I said that the more we understand hell, the more we will come to understand God's love for us. Here's why I believe that is true. So hell is this place of fair and just punishment. Hell is people receiving exactly what they desire the most. If their master is anything other than the Lord, they take that master by the hand and they follow them completely to hell and they never ask to leave. But how does a believer, how is a Christian, how do we need to view or how do we need to look at the reality of hell? I think this way. It will take you, or it would take you, an eternity to pay for your sins. Because if you could pay for it in a month or six months or a year, when you got to the end of that, then that has to be the end of your hell because you've completely satisfied the debt. That is how severe and how serious our sin is. That it would take you an eternity to pay for the full payment of your sins. All eternity. But now imagine. Imagine that you not only had to pay for your sins, but you had to pay for the sins of your spouse or your children or your friends. I mean, that should feel, that, that should be weightier, for us. But now imagine that you not only have to pay for your sins and the sins of your spouse and your children and your friends, but you have to add on top of that every single act of unforgiveness, every single action or attitude of unrighteous anger, every single act of child abuse every single act of pornographic activity, every single act of racism, every single murder during the Holocaust or the 100-day slaughter of Rwanda, and all 1.5 billion abortions since 1980. Imagine if you had to pay for all of those all together. But that's exactly What Jesus did, but not over an eternity. He did it all in about three hours. Can you imagine the agonizing anguish the cross must have been for him? So Jesus, he paid your debt that it would take you an eternity in hell to pay. I think that is how a believer should understand hell. And the more we begin to understand it, the more we begin to understand and hopefully appreciate God's love for us. So here's the question this morning. Who is your master? If you reject God's mercy, if you make anything other than him your master, you will receive his perfect and fair justice. You, if you have, and that is not you, we would say, would you receive his mercy this morning? Do you know what that feels like to have that burdened relief? So the plea from this man would be, make him your master so that you could receive eternal blessing. Because you end up where your master leads you. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, no, I know His mercy this morning. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I think it's be grateful. Man, celebrate that. Think about what that really means. But when this next week or maybe even later today, when that master of temptation that comes in the form of unforgiveness and anger, maybe pride or selfishness, tries to take you by the hand, don't follow.